final stretch and the final stretch of our faith and finance series. And for the past few weeks, uh, we've just been looking at what, the, what does the Bible say about money, right? Like how should we view wealth? How should we use our wealth? And, and as we said earlier, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about money. And a significant portion of that, perhaps the majority of that, has to say, talk about uh, what we're going to be looking at these next two weeks. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at giving, generosity, and next week, Pastor Brian's going to look at the topic of, of tithing. Now, for the sake of, of today's message, when we talk about giving, we talk about generosity, we're specifically referring to using our money to, to help others, to bless others, to provide for others. Now, for the past several weeks, we, we looked at things like work, right? We looked at the idea of diligence, how God gives us the ability to produce wealth, make money. We, we looked at spending, how God wants us to enjoy his blessings, right? To, to spend it on things that bring us joy. We talked about saving, right? Just the idea of, of just being wise and planning for the future and trusting God with our future. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to those, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to those because in many ways it sets up the groundwork to what we're going to be looking at these next couple of weeks. Now when it comes to giving, generosity, um, you know, I think we live in a, a world today or culture today that, uh, that views generosity as, as a good thing, right? It's a virtue kind of across the spectrum, regardless of religion, regardless of beliefs, that most people view generosity as a good thing. One of my favorite things to look at on social media are those, you know, those random acts of kindness, people doing nice things for others. And the fact that it's out there is just kind of evidence that we as a culture, as a society, we value giving and helping. I think most people, we strive to be generous. We want to be generous. We want to be seen as generous. I don't think anybody grows up wanting to be seen as greedy, you know, or stingy, like we, we want to, to be generous. So across the board in our culture, it's, it's a virtue. So for us who are believers, followers of Jesus, recipients of this amazing gift of salvation, uh, what does the Bible say about giving uh, for us? And I want to kind of share one big idea that we see in Scripture and then three ways that we can, we can do that and we can grow in our ability to do that. So here's the big idea that we see in Scripture. Uh, when it comes to generosity, uh, God wants us to give joyfully. And when it comes to our money, God wants us to help others, bless others uh, willingly, freely, happily. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a, a cheerful giver, right? God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to, to give joyfully, to give happily, right? He doesn't want us to be uh, grumpy givers, uh, anxious givers, sad givers, distraught givers, scared givers. Now, if we can relate to any of those, you know, God still loves us, right? He's not saying he doesn't love us if, if we're in that way. But God desires for us to, to experience joy that inherently comes with, with giving. God loves a cheerful giver. 
Now, in this verse, we get some ideas of what this entails, right? One, he says, we can't give reluctantly, right? So there, that, there can't be a part of us that doesn't want to give when we give, right? Because that's going to prevent us from enjoying that. And he says to, to not give under compulsion, right? That we can't give because we feel pressured. We can't give because we feel forced or coerced or just obligated to give. We can't give out of guilt. We can't give out of shame. We can't give out of fear. We can't give out of insecurity because all those things will get in the way of being able to give joyfully. Right? He says, each of you should give what you, like what you have decided in your heart to give. Right? In other words, give what you want to give what you alone desire to give and not one penny more. Now, what's implied in this and what's so important for us to, to grasp and to embrace and to understand is that in order to, to freely give, in order to be able to give willingly and joyfully, we also have to be able to, to not give willingly, freely, and joyfully. That it's completely okay to, to not give. Right? Because if, if we feel guilty every time we don't give, if we feel a sense of shame, if we feel like we're doing something wrong, that God's going to be upset, then it's impossible to, to give freely, to give joyfully, to give without reluctance, without compulsion. But in order to truly, freely give joyfully, we have to be able to, to not give freely and joyfully, right? One, you know, none of us can give all of the time to everyone, and there are seasons, right? There may be seasons where we can't give when we're unable to give. And the, the, the foundation of this, the, 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 the foundation of this is, is the gospel, right? That how God sees us, how he feels about us, his love for us, his desire to, to bless us. None of those things are dependent or conditional on whether we give or whether we, we don't give. And I think some of us, we, we need to hear that this morning. That in light of this topic that we're talking about, it's okay to not give. That what God desires from us is to give what we want to give, and nothing more, which means that we are free to not give what we don't want to give. Now, in those seasons where we do feel led to give, where we want to give, how, how do we give joyfully? Right? Because if things like guilt and obligation are unhealthy motivators, then how do we give in a way that allows us to, to give joyfully? What are the truths that enable us to, to happily give willingly and freely? And what we see in Scripture are three, three truths, well, at least three. I'm going to highlight three, three truths, three promises that enable us to give joyfully. The first one, what we see in Scripture, is that a giving is wise. A giving is wise, right? In the same way we saw last week that there is wisdom to saving, what we see throughout Scripture is that there is wisdom in giving. In other words, it is beneficial 
and rewarding to us when we give. I'll give you some few examples. Luke chapter 12, 32, 33, Jesus says, Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Luke 18, 29, 30, this is Jesus' response to the rich young ruler. It says, truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Acts 20, 35, this is the Apostle Paul quoting Jesus. It says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, what Jesus is highlighting, what he's saying is that when we give to others, when we help others, it's actually very beneficial to us. That there are rewards, there are treasures that we store up that we get in this lifetime and in the, the next lifetime. So what Jesus is encouraging is that, you know, to be smart, to make Good, wise, sound investments. I remember when I was in elementary school, uh, I think it was first or second grade, it's all kind of a, a blur to me now, um, that our school had this little booth, this little kind of closet where they sold school supplies. And one of the things you could buy from this booth were these really cool pencils for about a quarter. You know, they were like fluorescent, they had stripes, it was... And I coveted these pencils like, like hard. So one day I go home and I grab my life savings, right? It's just this jar of coins that I had been, you know, saving up. And I take it to school and I walk up to this closet and I don't even know how much is in this jar. And I just say, here, like, I want pencils. And that brought me a lot of joy. And they give me this, this basket full of pencils. And it's, you know, maybe like 50, 60 pencils. And I walk to, to my classroom and I'm ecstatic and I just put it like on my desk for all to see. And within a week or so, all those pencils were gone, right? I mean, I used some, you know, maybe I took some home, gave some to friends. You know, I'm sure others helped themselves uh, to those pencils, right? Now, we can look at that completely and be like, that was a bad investment, right? Like, had I known what I've known now, like, I would have invested in, like, Apple stock or Disney stock, and my life would be drastically different now, right? Now, we, we get it from a just kind of a financial perspective, world perspective. There are, is, a, you know, such a thing as a good investment, and there are things that are, like, not so good investments, when it comes to investing, we've got to ask the questions like what's safe, what's secure, what's backed by someone, something credible, right? What's going to retain its value? What might increase in value? What's going to rapidly depreciate? What's going to guarantee a good return, not just in the, the short term, but also in the, the long run? And what Jesus says throughout Scripture is basically apply the same logic. Ask the same questions, use the same wisdom, but just consider eternity. Consider the, the long run. 
when I first uh, uh, went into to ministry, uh, my first position uh, was as a youth pastor at a church in Phoenix, Arizona called a Northwest Chinese Baptist Church. And when I was there, um, the, the senior pastor at the time, my, my, my boss, uh, Terry Wong, a great guy, you know, he had to, to teach me a lot of things that I, that I didn't learn in seminary. And one of the things that he taught me, which still kind of sticks out to me today, was just the proper etiquette of when officiating a funeral. And, and one of the things he said was that when we're at the burial site during a, a burial service, and to be honest, I don't know if this rings true for like all people or whether that was just like that church, that community in Arizona, but he's like, when the burial service is complete, you cannot leave until the grounds crew begins to shovel dirt onto the casket. And the reason why is because sometimes the family members of, of the deceased, of the beloved, uh, they're worried and they're concerned that somebody might reopen the casket and take out the jewelry and take out the, the valuables from the casket. So by staying there until dirt is covering the casket, you're kind of providing them with a kind of comfort, a kind of peace that you're, you're going to watch over it. And like I said, I don't, I don't know if this applies to everyone, but in, in that context it does, and that's stuck with me today. So there have been a handful of times, several times, where I'll be literally the last one out at the burial site. Everybody has gone to the lunch, and I'm just standing there by myself waiting for the grounds crew to come and to begin to, to, to shovel dirt onto the casket. Now, on one hand, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Right? If that's a way that I can bless the family and serve the family, of course, like, why not? I, I can stand there, and it doesn't matter. But there is, at the same time, kind of an irony in all of that. Right? That I am I'm standing there, and I'm guarding treasures that are about to be buried forever. And you see, Jesus isn't saying that we can't have valuable stuff, we can't have nice stuff, but when it comes to our treasures, when it comes to our wealth, he's saying, just think long-term too. Like, make the wise investment. And when we, we give to those in need, when we help others who are struggling, we, we gain treasures and rewards for ourselves in this lifetime and in the lifetime to come. Now, Jesus is, is not kind of proclaiming what's known today as a prosperity gospel. Okay? He's not saying every time you give $10, you're going to get 100 and, and you're going to be rewarded in that way. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's guaranteeing. But he is promising a kind of reward, a kind of blessing both in this lifetime and in the next, that makes it worth it. That makes it beneficial when we, we give to others, right? And it's, it's hard to fully know how that works exactly, but if Jesus says it's, it's going to be worth it, then we take it by faith that it's going to be worth it. Remember Amber's uh, late grandma, Helen, who passed away a few years ago, uh, you know, throughout Amber's life and through our marriage, she was extremely generous to us. And there would be times when she would just pull us aside and just, just want to bless us, specifically financially, in, in hard times and times of, of struggle. 
And whenever we'd thank her, she'd always say the same thing. She'd always say the same thing. She'd say, can't take it with me, right? Can't take it with me. And I'd rather give it to you while I'm alive than when I'm dead. So that I can experience the joy and the reward and the blessing of being able to help, of being able to bless. Right? And that's what we see in Scripture, is that when we give to others, it's, it's wise because it benefits us. It helps us. And that's one reason we can give joyfully, knowing that it's rewarding, that we are storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Secondly, another reason we can give joyfully is because when we give, a giving builds faith. Giving builds faith. Now, when, when we go to the gym or when you exercise, go for a run, when you, you do any kind of physical training, what you're in essence doing right, is you are choosing, right? You are willingly putting your body under strain, doing something strenuous, doing something difficult in order to, to get stronger, right? To get faster, to get healthier. Right? And in the same way when we, we give, right? We are choosing to do something that is hard, something that is difficult in order to, to build up our faith, in order to train ourselves to be fully dependent on God's faithfulness and on God's provision. Now, giving money is not the only way to build faith, but what we see, it is a significant way that God uses to, to build our faith, to help us release our grips on our money, to be able to give it in order to, to see and to know that we can trust him. And we see this throughout Jesus' ministry, right? Jesus putting his disciples in these uncomfortable situations, specifically with money, in order to build up their faith, in order to, to show them that they could trust him and trust him fully and put their hope and their confidence in him and in him alone. So in, in Matthew chapter 4, we get the, the encounter of Jesus and Peter when Jesus calls Peter to be a disciple. And if you're familiar with the story, right, Peter is a, a fisherman by trade. And he spends the whole night fishing, kind of peak hours, and he catches nothing. So it's morning, he's tired, he's exhausted, he's probably discouraged because he has nothing to show for his evening of work. And it's just as he's beginning to put things away, Jesus gets in the boat, right? And he's like, hey, Peter, can you row me out? I need to teach from, you know, the waters. And after Jesus finishes teaching, he goes, hey, let's go deeper and let's catch some fish. And Peter's like, I, you know, spent all night fishing. There's nothing out there. Trust me, I'm a professional fisherman. But he's like, because you say so, I'll do it. So they go out, they drop their nets. Long story short, Peter catches, like, makes the catch of a lifetime, right? Nets begin to fill, his boats begin, his boat is beginning to sink, calls over his buddies, they fill up their boats, and there's so much fish, right, that they can barely drag all this fish to shore. Now think about this just from a financial perspective for a moment, right? This could be Peter's, like, jackpot, right? The financial break that he has been waiting for, hoping for, this could drastically alter just the trajectory of his business, of his life, maybe the generational wealth that he could store for years to, to, to come. 
this influx of inventory, the potential of profit and expansion. And, and what does Jesus say to him? He says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. In other words, what Jesus says to Peter is, leave it. Walk away from it. Donate it. Give it away. Let your competitors have it. Finders keepers. But I have something better in store for you. You can imagine just the, the challenge that that would present for Peter to leave all that behind. Matthew 14, we're told that Jesus is teaching a large crowd in a secluded, remote place. And we're told that there's about 5,000 men, not including women and children, so many scholars think maybe 20,000 people that Jesus is teaching to. And he's, he's on a roll, so he's like teaching and teaching and teaching, and it's getting late. So the disciples, they, you know, they kind of send Jesus a note, or they pull him aside, whisper in his ear like, Jesus, it's getting late. Uh, maybe it's a good idea to let the people go to take, call it a day, let them go get some dinner, find some food, because they got a, a long trek home, right? And the disciples, they're just, they're just being considerate, right? I mean, if I got on a roll this morning and 10 became 10.30 and 10.30 became 11, 11 became 11.30, I think some of you would hope right, that either Pastor Brandon, Pastor Donna would like pull me aside and be like, hey, you need to let the people, let them go, right? Like, they, they need to eat, right? Don't worry, that's not going to happen today, like, right? But the disciples, right, they, they kind of just pulled Jesus aside. And what does Jesus tell them? Verse 16, he says, they do not need to go away. You, you give them something to eat. You feed them. So the disciples kind of scrounge right through their lunch pails. And combined amongst them, they have five loaves of bread and, and two pieces of fish. You got to imagine they're thinking like, great. Now we don't get to eat dinner, right? Like, what are, what are, what are we going to eat? And not only is there the, the, this cost and the sacrifice of giving up their dinner, but there's the risk of like being utterly humiliated. Showing up, like, hey guys, dinner's on us tonight. Here you go. Here you go, right? Five loaves, two pieces of fish, right? Jesus, bring it to me. He prays, blesses it. And then in verse 19 to 20, it says, Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Like, I don't think it's coincidence, right? That after all that, there's 12, one each, 12 basketfuls of leftovers for, for each of them. Jesus showing them, teaching them in that moment that they could trust them, they could depend on them. One time, Jesus sends his disciples out on a short-term missions trip. Right, he sends them out two-by-twos and pairs to go into the local villages and towns. And he says in Luke 10, verse 3, he says, Go, I am sending you out like lambs 
among wolves. Now, that's not the most comforting analogy to use, right? Like, it would been different if he's like, I'm sending you out like lions amongst puppies. Right? It's like, okay, like, we can do that. That's a good analogy. He says, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. So, in light of that, do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not take any money with you. Do not take additional clothes, additional food, supplies, just whatever is on your back. Go. Right? Like whenever our kids, you know, go out these days and they're hanging out with their friends or they're going to stay, you know, late past youth group or whatever it might be, the question we always ask them, right, do you have money? Right? Do you, do you have money? Right? Now, these days with Apple Pay, it's not, you know, as, but do you have money? Right? Because we know that if they ever find themselves in a, a sticky situation, they need something, it, it helps to have some money, right? Money is a source of security. It is a source of confidence. But here Jesus is sending them out. He says, don't take any money. In other words, you got to trust me. you got to depend on the Father, me, the Spirit, that we will provide, that we will give you what you need. And we see Jesus throughout his ministry putting the disciples in these uncomfortable situations asking them to loosen their grip on money in order to build up their faith. Now, you fast forward to Acts chapter 4, and uh, we're, you know, it's the early church, right? Jesus has already ascended into heaven. He's sent the Holy Spirit. They're preaching the gospel. People are being saved by the day. The church is growing, but they're also being persecuted because of what they're doing. In Acts 4, we're told that one, on one occasion, uh, the apostles Peter and John, they're out, in public, preaching the gospel, and they get arrested. And the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, they bring them in, and they basically tell Peter, they tell John, you need to stop talking about Jesus. You need to stop telling people about Jesus. And if you don't, like bad, bad things are going to happen. There will be consequences. You saw what we did to Jesus, like we could easily do that to you if you continue to talk about Jesus. So that Peter and John, they go back, they get together with the other believers, and they, they're contemplating, right? Like, well, like what do we do? Right? Like, our livelihood and our lives are at stake here. If we continue to preach, it could cost us. It could cost us very well everything. So they get together, and they pray. And this is their prayer, verse 29 to 30. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Right? This is their request. In light of these threats, God, give us more faith to preach more, to preach boldly, to tell other people about Jesus regardless of the cost regardless of the consequence. Very next verse, verse 31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Right, so God answered their request. They're filled with this faith. They're proclaiming Jesus. They're proclaiming the gospel, regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequences. Now, here's what I want to point out. In the very next verse after that, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. 
No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. It's not coincidence here that there is a correlation between faith and giving and generosity. Right? That amidst this radical faith to proclaim the gospel is this radical generosity to help everyone and anyone in need. And we know from scriptures that this did not happen overnight for the disciples, for the early church. But it happened through small, gradual steps. That every time Jesus would challenge them to, to give, to loosen their grip on money, it would, would build their faith. And as their faith grew, it became easier to, to give and to bless others with their money and their wealth. Right, so we see that one reason we can give joyfully is because giving builds faith. And lastly, um, another reason why we can give joyfully is because giving expresses love. Right, that giving is just a very tangible way that we demonstrate our love for people whom we, whom we love. 1 John 3, 16 to 18, uh, Jesus says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. Uh, now, there's a part of this that, where Jesus is kind of stating the obvious here. That kind of applies to everyone where we get and we, we already understand. And, and that's simply that if we love someone, when we love someone, we, we give of ourselves to them, right? We give willingly. We give freely, right? And I'm not just talking about money, right? We, we, we are generous with our time. We're generous with our energy. We're generous with our patience. We're generous with our thoughts. Like we give willingly of ourselves to people whom we love. A couple of weeks ago, um, sorry, Mom, I'm embarrassed you a little bit, but I got to tell the story. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I go to uh, my daughter, Carly and Katie's basketball game, and in my hurry to get out the door, I forget to grab a jacket, and it's cold that night. So I'm sitting in the gym, and I'm waiting for the game to start. My mom walks in, and within seconds, she notices right away that I don't have a jacket. And she's like, you forgot a jacket, huh? Like, uh, I might have one in my car. She begins to like unzip her jacket. And she's like, take mine, take mine. Don't worry, it's okay for men and women, right? <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, like I don't need your jacket, I'm fine. And, you know, and finally I just, I get her to just, like I'll be fine. Don't, you know, I don't need your jacket. Well, after the game, I have to go work the snack booth a little bit. And after that, I got to drive about five minutes to go pick up Katie, who had volleyball practice after her game. And I have to drive five minutes to go pick her up from her volleyball practice. So as I'm working at the snack booth, snack bar, after my shift, I grab my phone and I see, like, missed calls. 
missed calls, missed text messages, and it's like, it's my mom. I'm going to come bring you a jacket. Right? Like, I'm going to drive from La Mirada back to Fullerton to bring you a jacket. Or, right, if you don't have a jacket, I'm going to go pick up Katie for you. I will drive from La Mirada to Brea, pick up Katie for you, drive her from Brea back to your house in La Palma, and then come back home so that you don't have to get her without a jacket. <laughs> and, you know, as I thought about that, I was like, my mom is willing to drive an additional hour a whole hour, just so I don't have to drive to Brea, get out of my car, back into my car. She's going to drive a whole hour so I don't have to do all that, right, without a jacket. So I get to my car and I see that I have some blankets, which I could potentially wrap around my shoulders. So I was like, don't worry, Mom, I have a jacket. I'm sorry, that might be considered lying, but, right. But I realize, right, even though I'm 44 going on 45, right, like I'll always, I'll always be her son. And because she loves me, she's going to do everything in her power, in her strength, to, to give freely, to give genuinely, right? Not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not because somebody's pressuring her to do it, but because she, she wants to. She does it freely and joyfully. And every single one of you, all you moms, you know exactly how that is. And that rings true for all of us when it comes to people we love. Right? That we give of ourselves freely. And it's not just money, but it definitely includes money. It includes our wealth. It includes our stuff. And when we love people, we give of ourselves freely. And giving is a tangible way that we express love. And we do it all the time. And it's not just limited to Christians. So what Jesus is saying here, on one hand, it's pretty obvious, pretty straightforward. When we love someone, we're going to give freely. But for those of us who are believers... For those of us who have received all of the blessings and all of the benefits... Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the challenge for us, what Jesus is also saying here, is that we as believers, that the challenge for us is not to give more. That's not the challenge. But the challenge for us is to, to love more. It's to love more. It's to love each other. It's to love others the way that Jesus has, has loved us. It's to love more people, and to love right, people more. Right? The same way that we love our, our families, the same way we love our friends, that we would grow in that love, and we would love others as well. John 15, 12, 13, Jesus says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you see what's implied then is that the more we love people, the more people that we love, the result of that, the byproduct of that is we are going to give more. Not because we have to, 
but because we willingly, freely want to. That's why we get passages like Luke 14, verse 12. It says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Right here, Jesus is painting a picture of what our lives will begin to look like when we begin to love people the way that Jesus loves us. So big idea from this morning. When it comes to giving, God wants us to, to give joyfully. Right, to not give reluctantly, to not give under compulsion, but to give willingly and freely what we decide in our hearts to give right, and nothing more. And the way that we are able to do that is by His wisdom. It's through faith and through love. The more we grow in wisdom, the more we grow in faith, the more we grow in love, the more we'll be able to, to give joyfully. And those are all things that we can't do on our own. But those are all things that we need God to, to do in us. It's why Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So as we you know, close our time uh, this morning, as we move into a time of reflection, time of worship, uh, you know, I want to invite us just to consider one question. Right? Is there any area in our life that God is wanting to address, that God is wanting to speak into on this, this topic of giving? Or maybe, maybe for some of us, God is just leading us into a season where we need to learn how to not give and to do that joyfully, to not feel guilty about it, ashamed about it, beaten down by it. Perhaps for, for some of us, it, it's in the area of wisdom, to be able to see and to truly believe that it is beneficial, it is rewarding when we give. Maybe for others of us, it's God inviting us to take small steps of faith in order to, to build up our faith, to strengthen our faith, to train us to be fully dependent on Him. For others of us, it may be in the, in the, the, the area of love, certain relationships, certain people, being able to, to love more, hard-to-love people, difficult people, whatever it might be. But whatever God is wanting to do and however he's wanting to move, that we would bring that to him freely. That as he points out things in our lives, we would trust him to do those things for us. That he would be the one to do what we cannot do on our own. And we could trust with, with confidence Right, that we have a God, that we have a Father who loves to give to us willingly, freely, and joyfully. Will you pray with me?